During the pandemic, we laid off several staff. Now that things are opening up again, we're trying to rehire staff but are having a really tough time. Given we're only able to pay $10 to $12 an hour for many of these direct service positions, I worry we won't be able to find anyone. Do you have any creative suggestions about where we can find employees to add to our team? What we don't pay in money, we make up for in heart. It's so tough when you're paying at the lower end of the scale, especially in today's day and age with all the unemployment stuff and what we've heard, right? And so you're not alone. But I guess if I were getting creative, I would look at things like, you know, if there's, I'm not sure if these are part-time, full-time positions, but I always think that, you know, students um, in colleges who are moving, you know, who need maybe work or maybe they're a part-time student and they still need to work um, and make a living is one idea. I think you could ask your current staff that you do have and maybe have some sort of incentive program. I don't know what that looks like, whether it's sort of, I'm assuming your budget's low. So maybe it's more of like a, hey, whatever you get, like, I don't know, a gift card to a your favorite restaurant sort of thing. But like if you if you refer an employee, you know, that we end up keeping long term, I just, I think, and maybe just using your networks around you of people who know you, who believe in the work you do to see, I mean, people have, you know, whether you're retired or whether you're sort of starting out, that's where my brain naturally goes is thinking about people kind of both ends of that spectrum who, who potentially might be looking either for something meaningful in their life or um, just trying to make a few extra bucks. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, I, I, I understand that it's, it may be difficult to find employees for, for low wages. Um, and, but, but if you can't find employees for what you're paying, like you're paying too low. I know. Like if, I know. if, if you can really only afford 10 to $12, you need to think about your business model again a little bit, because that's, yeah. you're, you're, you're competing with your, at 10, at 10 to $12, you're paying less than in an outburger, right? Who provides full health benefits. So, so even though you're, you know, you're, there's heart involved, you can't buy food with heart. <laughs> and, and, and these are, these are employees. I mean, these aren't necessarily employees that are committed to doing this work, regardless of what they're being paid, because there are jobs. And we know that in the nonprofit sector, there are jobs, especially in the cultural sector where people will work for peanuts because they just want to be involved with the work. Yes. They really want to be attached to it. But in reality, there aren't really that many of those people. They don't stick around for very long and they go, you know what, this is really hard and I could be making $15 if I was in an outburger, right? So so I, I think you need to think about your business model again. And also the question, the way it was phrased was hypothetical. Like you haven't actually gone to the market. It sounds like you haven't gone to the market yeah, and actually figured out whether or not people are going to come and do the work that you're asking them to do for the amount of money you're asking to pay them. So maybe it's not a problem. Maybe Maybe the thing that they're doing is so cool and so much fun that 10 to $12 is actually fine. Um, or when you talk to employees and, and you find out that that money is not enough, maybe there are other things that you can do to provide additional benefits to those employees that, that you haven't thought about yet. So it's a, it's a you know, you, you almost have to experiment a little bit. Maybe, especially in the 10 to $12 range, like maybe being paid once every two weeks is gonna be bad. Maybe you can figure out a way to pay more frequently. Maybe, you know, maybe there are, maybe you can share employees with other organizations so that you can say, you know, especially if it's a part-time thing, maybe you can find another organization that's doing something similar to you and you guys can share a job or, you know, I think you're going to have to be creative if you're going to try to get away with this. But I'd really look back at the business model and go, if we want to provide quality services, can we do it by paying a wage that no one will accept? 
You know, one other thought is you think about how many nonprofits out there are doing work to try to find employment for people who've come from, you know, whatever, maybe it's reentry after being, you know, incarcerated, whatever, whatever the situation is. And it, I'm assuming there's probably, I'm making a lot of assumptions here, right? But I'm assuming there's probably not a whole litany of like requirements or qualifications for this position if it's 10 to $12 an hour. Mm-hmm. So maybe you can like partner and collaborate with some other nonprofits, right? And help them get, you know, find employment for some of those they're serving and, and do it with your organization. Like how cool would that be? Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host, Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding. Welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. I'm Andy Shurick. I'm here with my co-host Stacy Wedding, and we're here to answer all of your nonprofit questions. So the way the podcast works is that you send us questions. You either email them to us or send them via the Nonprofit Everything webpage. We have a phone number. You can tweet them at us. You can send them via Facebook, whatever you want. We'll take those questions and Stacy and I will try to answer them. If we can't, we'll bring in a guest expert. So for example, today we have a guest expert on a pretty interesting question. Um, and the best way to support the podcast other than sending us questions is to become a member of the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits is the state association for nonprofits in Nevada. It's a great way to support the podcast, and there are awful lot of good benefits that come along with being a member. And with that, we're going to jump right in. Our organization recently had a cybersecurity breach caused by human error from one of our staff who clicked on the link and then opened an attachment they shouldn't have. We had a significant monetary loss as a result. What can we do to prevent something like this from happening in the future, especially in today's environment where this type of thing is happening to everybody? Is there insurance for this type of situation? I'm sorry that happened. That really sucks. It does suck. And it's like, it is. It's rampant. Yeah. It's 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 been in the news every single day this week, right? It is is absolutely. And I actually got, I got one of those emails um, pretty targeted to earlier this morning, right? Yeah. Didn't click on it because because yeah. now I'm scared of everything. <laughs> well, and just as a side note, I'm just going to share like a personal personal story, but like one that you have to be aware of. Like in the past, I felt like it was really clear. Like you could look and be pretty clear. It was like something not to click on, right? Like yeah. it was danger, like spelling error, right? Stranger right? danger, like yeah. but there was something. I the other day got something from someone and I I made the mistake and was on the phone with my tech company immediately but I got something from a legitimate person email correct and spelled correctly um the the email message was very on point and something that I could have potentially expected like it felt a little strange I was getting it but not strange enough that I wouldn't open it. Mm-hmm. And of course, like, I, I mean, the, the good news was I didn't keep clicking, but like I did click the one thing and then opened it and then saw the, oh, we need your username and password for X to give you. But, and that was when I stopped, mm-hmm. but I was, I was freaking out. And, you know, this is the stuff that like, I just worry, like I worry about all of us, like any sector, but particularly nonprofits. I mean, we have we got have to resources. get to the bottom of this. Yeah. yeah. We don't have the resources to handle that. And and just, I mean, you, I think you got lucky because the the way a lot of them work now is that first click, you're done. Like there's no, 
you know, some of them are like, click something and it's like, give me your username and password. And that gives you another chance yes. to like realize you've made a mistake. But a lot of them, that first click, yeah. like if it's a, if it's a zero day problem, you're done. That's you're done. So, so yeah, it's something you need to take seriously. We're going to a hundred percent bring in an expert on this because Stacy and I are clearly not experts on this. I would say, um, to quickly answer the question. Yeah, there is insurance for this. Like, so talk to your insurance broker, whoever is giving you your, your workers comp, your business insurance, all the other, your, your DNO, all the stuff that you're working with your insurance broker, tell them that you're concerned about this and ask them about insurance. Because like all of the, like the ones that were in the news today, like the, where someone has been shut down and they end up paying a ransom and the ransom is like always a weird number. Yeah. That's the insurance company paying that. That's the, that's not the company. That's the insurance. Their the rates are going to go up, right? Yeah. Um, that's the insurance company paying them. The other thing the insurance company is going to be able to provide is resources. So the interest once you've paid for the insurance, they want to make sure they don't want to have to pay out, and so they're going to provide free resources to you. And that's something you're going to you talk to your broker and say, hey, you know, obviously we don't want to get a claim on this. Like, what do we need to do to make sure we don't get a claim on this? And they will put you in contact with people that can give you resources. Like for example. Um, one of the things, if you accept credit cards, a lot of times you have to do like a PCI compliance review um, where with payment card industry, where you go through a series of steps, ask you a bunch of questions like, are you, st- are you saving credit card numbers? Those kinds of, you yeah. know, do you have, what's, what's open on the internet? You have to go through that kind of thing. And they've got similar things for cybersecurity. They can help you with some of these basic practices. I mean, that's not going to stop it. It's not going to prevent people from sending stuff to you. It's not going to solve the problem, but at least that's one resource that I would, it's probably free since you're already paying for that insurance or once you are. Um, so I'd take them up on that, but yeah, a hundred percent. It's like a risk management thing that we can't ignore anymore. And yeah. I, and honestly, I'm always shocked that it doesn't come up more with some of the organizations I work with. Like to me, that should be one of the top things when you're thinking about sort of threats, like in your environment that you need to mitigate against, this should be top of the list. I mean, yeah. It could destroy. It's easy to say, but just imagine. So what, what's going to happen is they're going to ask you for money and they're going to say, if you don't give us the amount, the absurd amount of money that we're asking you for, we will just publish your donor list yeah. and all of their details of every donor that's ever given to you and how much they've given to you that you have that we were able to scrape out of your database. Plus every contract you've ever signed with any of your employees and, and any private information that we can find on your clients. I mean, it's a it, it could be it could be catastrophic for a nonprofit. So it's something that you need to have, you know, you need to think seriously about. And and thanks for the question because that it gives us the opportunity to talk about it. Hey everybody, Stacy Wedding here, and I have a special guest with us today, Francis Johnson, the managing director of tech services for Tech Impact. Welcome, Francis. Thank you, Stacy. Francis, who's got a lot of expertise working with technology and particularly helping nonprofits with their technology. He and, he and his team really provide a lot of support across the country to nonprofits. And I'll let him share a little more about his background. So let's let's start with that and then maybe I'll dive in. Uh, Francis, tell me a little bit about you and and your role at Tech Impact. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for the introduction. Um, so yes, uh, I am the managing director of technology services for an amazing organization called Tech Impact. At Tech Impact, our mission is to leverage the power of technology to to better serve the world. And we do that in uh, three main ways. Um, As a capacity building organization, we provide 
uh, technology services to other nonprofits across the United States. Uh, that could be anything from uh, support with your data systems to cybersecurity and compliance uh, advice and consultants. Uh, we also uh, provide education and training for nonprofits and individuals to help them make uh, smart technology decisions for their organizations and ultimately the mission that they're trying to achieve. Uh, and lastly, uh, we also provide workforce development programs to opportunity youth to help them gain the knowledge and credentials they need to pursue a career in, in IT. Um, and so those are the three main ways we go about uh, trying to accomplish our mission uh, in the world, so to speak. I, I work for Tech Impact because I have always loved technology. I, I went to school to further my studies in computer science, and I always knew I was going to be working in the technology space, uh, specifically information technology space. And so I also love people and humanity, and I love the, I love the nonprofit sector. And so it just made sense for me to, to find something that had to do with the sector and all the great organizations that um, are providing such you know, life-changing services and programs to communities you know, across the world. So you know, I love what I do. And I, I try my best to come out every every day to to help, you know, not just what we do here to impact and our mission, but the missions of all the organizations we interact with. Well, you are we are so lucky to have you. And I'm sure all of our listeners are thinking, I need a Francis in my life. So um, we, all, <laughs> we all could use uh, some tech support from now and then. And what I really love about Tech Impact, for those who may not have um, you know, heard it's Tech Impact is a nonprofit themselves who is, you know, in this capacity that Francis wears the hat for is helping other nonprofits with some of their their technology, you know, support. So it's it's kind of a cool model. Anyone who doesn't know Tech Impact should definitely check them out. We'll make sure to put um, some some links in the show notes to Tech Impact uh, to Francis and and you can get in touch with them if you're interested in learning more for your organization. With that said, though, we're going to dive right into to our question, which is really, I think, hot on the mind of a lot of people, especially after what we've all been through over the last year and a half with with having to really be more reliant on technology than we ever have before. And uh, one of our listeners asked a question that uh, sadly, I think, is all too common. And and here's the question. Our organization recently had a cybersecurity breach caused by human error from one of our staff who clicked on a link and then opened an attachment they shouldn't have. We had a significant monetary loss as a result. What can we do to prevent something like this from happening in the future, especially in today's environment where this type of thing is happening to everyone? Is there insurance for this type of situation? So, Francis, that's a big one, but I'm going to let you try to take a stab at it. Oh, absolutely. Sure. It's a, yeah, it's a very important question. Um, and so I'll answer it a couple of ways. I'll start with what you can do as an organization, I think. And this really goes for any organization, right? I, I believe with a very complex problem, which is the uh, constant attacks uh, that these bad actors and cyber criminals are putting upon a lot of systems really across the world, it is important that every organization 
take a multiple angle approach to this problem, right? I, I, and I'll talk about two main things that you could do. Uh, I would call the first one essentially looking at your staff and in, the individuals that make up your organization and work to educate and train them um, and basically give them the what they need to deal with the fact that you are, you are in a digital space. Most of most of the organizations we deal, we deal with have done the digital transformation and move things to the cloud and, and are essentially uh, doing a lot of things within that space. Uh, it's important to educate and equip your staff, your staff and individuals in the organization to actually be able to navigate this, right? It's hard enough dealing with, uh, as, as Stacey, you mentioned the, the pandemic and having to do remote work all of a sudden and things like that. It's hard enough to deal, deal with that and also be very diligent with what you do and how you interface with things that come through your email, that pop up in your, you know, your online systems, et cetera. So there are myriad of ways. There's a lot of this space is this space, which is called basically the security awareness space, is is pretty hot. There's a lot of um, resources around that. Um, essentially, there's a lot of training programs that you can have your staff go through uh, with a lot of testing around that simulations. For example, let's just uh, you know take into the question. They didn't say specifically email was the the method of which they got breached. But it sounds like it was. It said there was a link and there was an attachment. So I'm just going to go off the fact that it might have been an email that came through. Somebody clicked on it and just kept on diving in. Um, and so that things like a simulation of something like this to see who needs additional training, uh, custom training. Essentially, again, as I said at the beginning, the whole point is to allow your staff members every, every possible resource they can get to be able to handle these things on their own if it does come to that. Um, but that's not the only thing you should be doing. I think it's important to educate and, 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 and equip the, the staff, but also you can also do better with your systems as well. Like if, your email system, for example, you could uh, add a, a, not, uh, a few other things around security to really uh, harden your, 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 uh, your email system. For example, uh, let's just go back to the question. There was a link, there was an attachment. There, there are certain tools that you can layer onto any email system, frankly, that will scan, for example, a link or scan an attachment that if somebody were, to, if they were to even go to the train and, and still fail to identify that this might be a, uh, uh, an email that they shouldn't be looking at or a link that they shouldn't be clicking on, they would, if, even in that point where they do click on the link, there would be a, essentially an interruption of that, right? There would be a, a warning or some, some type of alarm to let them know that this, this particular link has been scanned and it is going to a rogue website. You should not go further or something to that effect, right? So just basically adding as many uh, possible ways to deter and, uh, and stop something like this from ever happening, all right? And so there's two different ways, education, as I said, and then tooling, for example, okay? Uh, and Francis, can I stop you there for a quick sure, second? Sure. Um, so on the education piece, are there, you know, when people are going, where do I even begin? Like, do I, do I just Google, you know, education on this? Do you have any recommendations or resources that you point your tech impact nonprofit clients to? Yes, the, the particular um, company we use they are called know before, as in know, as in before knowledge. So K N O W 
B as in B E, and then the number four. So they're 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 pretty comprehensive in the, the different uh, offerings they provide in their package of security awareness. As I mentioned, it, it's it's it can be a training just that everybody takes at once, and then it, that that can then be customized uh, for folks that need additional training. Uh, they're scenario based training, and there's also, as I mentioned, simulation and testing of certain scenarios, for example, a, a rogue email, a rogue link, and just seeing how folks, your, your particular staff do after their training and how they react to things that come into their email, for example. So it's, it's the full, it goes through the whole thing. It's not just about training, it's also about testing and making sure that what has been trained and what has been the, um, uh, provided to the staff is actually being taken in and, and understood. Right. I, I love, you know, I love that idea because I'm sitting there just thinking it's kind of those real life scenarios that that mess all of us up. Right. And so Absolutely. that yeah. that scenario training and those simulations and that kind of stuff. I mean, what a really powerful tool for organizations to use. That's that's super cool. I didn't even know that existed. So um Awesome. And and then, you know, you talk about layering on to, for example, an email system and additional tools you can layer on. I mean, one of the things I'm thinking about for our listeners, we have nonprofits of all sizes that listen to us. But but budget, of course, is always a concern for nonprofits, particularly smaller ones. And so every time I'm, I'm hearing you talk about, you know, training and um, mm -hmm. and layering on tools Mm -hmm. it, it, it quickly, I, I'm seeing like the, the numbers and, you know, add up as far as cost. And so, I mean, I, I, it's probably one of those things you can't afford not to invest in. And yet I'm just curious to know, are there some tools that work, work well, but are more affordable or are there some programs out there nonprofits can, um, you know, go to, um, you know, to, to kind of access technology at a reduced rate or some of these tools? Yeah, so, so um, there are quite a few vendors in the cybersecurity space that realize that what you just mentioned about tight, you know, tight budgets um, and affordability of these tools. And so there are, you know, quite a few that actually have been uh, starting, or starting or have been doing a lot of things around donation programs and things like that. Uh, I would say, uh, you know, as you said, bottom line, uh, I, I'm speaking through this and it, may, it might make sense, but, you know, none of it is is cheap or free, right? It, there's, there's an investment there. There's investment of time, there's investment of effort, and obviously investment of funds. Uh, and I think ultimately um, for the non, you know, the nonprofits that are listening, uh, there there's a few ways that I think, well, number one, for every nonprofit and every organization that is in the digital space, right, and you all are somehow, some way, it's important to really pro uh, put that, put the fact that your technology and the protection of your technology should be part and parcel of what you do, right? So if it's not even, if, for example, if it's not something that you even budget for right now, it should be a line of your budget. It's something that you should push, right? This is something you should engage your board with. This is not something that is a luxury. It's not a luxury at all. This is a necessity. It's, it's basically part of doing business in the digital space, right? It is part of what you do. Now, I say that also saying that, and I will say the other part of it too is, we as a, a Tech Impact have worked with, as I mentioned, those vendors to help them understand 
what nonprofits need from what the nonprofits we interact with so that the donation programs, A, make sense and they can actually be used and also working with the funders, right? So ultimately, funders uh, that provide grants uh, can also provide grants around security and securing environments, right? So ultimately, we don't want to be in a space where we're funding specific programs and not funding everything that uh, that is on top of that, right? So it's essentially, uh, with going back to the question, we, 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 are, we are focused on our mission and we're focused on what we do per se, but it's important to also realize that in your, the fact that you are now in a digital space or have been on a digital space is important to protect it, mainly because there's a lot of things that happen from a breach, for example, monetary loss. I think ultimately losing money and having disruption of business of your business and your organization's uh, operation is, is, is very important. And I think funders are now realizing that and, and are being more uh, amenable to actually provide funds around that. So looking, pushing your board, pushing for funding around it is important. I think it's, I think it's, it's as I said, it's not, it's no longer something you, that's an afterthought. It's no longer something that you just don't really think about per se. It should just be part of what you do, right? You are running an organization, you are you are you have a lot of systems that are that are connected to the internet and are in the in the digital space you should protect all of that and essentially ask for that funding push for that funding add it to your budgets and get those things approved because it's part of doing what you do i think i think that's super sage advice and i guess i'm also wondering and does such a thing as like an assessment, a technology assessment, I'm assuming such a thing takes pl- is is an opportunity for nonprofits, maybe if they don't know where to begin, mm-hmm. or if they want to hire somebody, I don't, I don't know if that's stuff that Tech Impact does or that other vendors do, but to come in and kind of just assess the landscape of their technology, so they know where they're at risk what they need, you know, sort of look at the full organization and all of its moving parts and what they could do to sort of streamline, improve, secure, you know, provide more uh, security. Um, does, does something like this exist? Absolutely. I, I Yeah. So there, there's a lot. Uh, we do this and, and you know, essentially every um, uh, uh, cybersecurity solution provider does this, right? The, I, I believe every organization should do an assessment at least once a year, right? An assessment of your security space of, uh, and, and really analyze your risk um, uh, uh, around that, right? And so, yeah, we, we provide security risk assessments. And you, as you said, it's the, the, the big picture of what you currently do, how, where you do it, how is it secured, what, and essentially, and analyze the gaps and provide you with a report with recommendations and timelines on how you can actually handle this. With Tech Impact, we take it a a little bit further, as I mentioned, uh, with with the way we interact with vendors and also funders, we can actually also not just provide you with a a, a menu of things that you have to do and all the the costs per se. There's certain things that we know you can absolutely take advantage of in terms of donations and even um, uh, cohorts and things like that that can help you offset some of the costs, for, for example, because none of this is, again, a lot of it is, it is what I'm, everything I'm talking about here involves investment, not just of money, time, and effort. And so it's, I know it, it just sounds daunting and it's, it, it's, a, it's a big undertaking for, uh, for, for nonprofits, especially ones that are, haven't really focused on this at all. Uh, and frankly, 
If you haven't, you should. And I think the working with a provider like Tech Impact or any really any solution or provider to at least get that first part of it, which you just mentioned, which is a great um, great uh, recommendation, is to at least assess where you are, right? You need to know where you are so you know exactly where you need to go. You might not need all of the all of the fancy things that are out there. You might just be fine with certain things that are really fundamental that you can put in place and protect your organization. But but you have to assess where you are right now. You have to figure out your risk so that you can move forward. And and one final question, I'm thinking that some of our listeners may be wondering if it is a one-person or two-person nonprofit, which we know many grassroots and smaller nonprofits are teeny tiny. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I can appreciate it as a very small business owner. But, um, you know, is there a certain size where it makes more sense to engage in this type of investment? Um, you know, do you have any recommendations about size um, you know, or, or does it have to, should it be starting from the very beginning, even with just one person? As I mentioned, it's, it's, it should be part of what you do as an organization, right? As you lay out your organization, if you start from the bottom in terms of starting up with two people, it should just be part of what you do. Now, not every assessment is the same, right? It's not created the same. It's not delivered the same. And so obviously there are there are breaks there, so to speak, if you want to talk that way, where your assessment might not be as involved because you're not all over the place with your applications and your, you know, your systems, et cetera. And so you might have a different uh, size assessment than uh, organizations that are 100 plus people, right? So yes, the, no, nothing I'm saying works across the board, but the fundamental piece is what I was saying in terms of getting assess, an assessment, getting your uh, organization assessed, and actually get in the recommendations off of that. That piece, I think, happens across, you need to ha have it across the board, doesn't matter what size you, you uh, organization you are. Now, I think the nuance is in exactly how it's delivered and, and what actually comes out of it, so to speak. Yeah. But you have to, you have to start there. It's, it's hard to, it's because it, if it's, you think it's daunting enough to, to take the first step, Taking it without actually understanding where you are is, is going to be uh, exponentially more difficult, right? Because then you just get taken so many different directions and then you end up spending so much more money than you did over, over engineering a system that you absolutely did not need to put so much investment in. So it's, it, you kind of owe it to, your, to you and your organization to at least understand your current state and work to that future state. Um, with, with a provider, or if you if you have someone in the house that can help out with that, this has been remarkably helpful, educational. I think I, I hope our listeners appreciate it as much as I do. Um, you know, technology for those of us who are not as uh, well versed in it as you, Francis, can feel incredibly intimidating and overwhelming. Um, I appreciate you just putting this in language all of us can understand. And, and you know, my my big takeaway is this is an investment. It's a it's a part it's a line item that needs to just become an ongoing line item. And this is this is, a you know, absolutely a, a necessity, not a luxury. And uh, it's the world we live in today. So we all have to buck up. <laughs> <laughs> we all have to buck up. That should be my new tagline. Um, but, but absolutely. I, I, I appreciate you summarizing it that way. Again, it's, 
it, you, it, if you just look at, if you think of it as a space that which you now work within, right, your digital space, ultimately all I'm saying is that you should work to protect it, right? You, you didn't do all the hard work of getting into the cloud and moving your systems and, and going out and, and buying a new CRM, et cetera, or, 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 or getting licensed for it just for you not to protect how it's used and who can actually access it. You have to. So protect your digital space is really what it comes down to. Awesome. Well, Francis, thank you so much for being a part of this. Absolutely. It was fun. I appreciate you, Stacy. <laughs> sure. All right. Well, everybody, we are uh, going to sign off for another one. But until next time, stay safe, stay well, and uh, hope you're enjoying the summer. Take care, everybody.